Hey everybody, it's Microphones of Madness. I'm Rodney over there, Steve. I'm Earth 2 Steve again today. Oh, Earth 2 Steve. Oh, I've got dear. my goatee ready. <laughs> that's, that's Star Trek Mirror Universe, Steve. Whatever. So today is probably the final installment of uh, Crisis of Infinite Cash Grab. We're not going to do multiplicity or whatever it was called. Multiversity. No, I think if we do anything else in this, like, crossovers of the, the late 20th and early 21st century, we'll do Identity Crisis and probably 52 if we can get our hands on it. Oh, well, 52's on the, um, on the DC um, universe. Ah, okay. <laughs> but, of course, we are talking about the misnamed... Final Crisis. Because <laughs> it is neither final nor a crisis. It We're, is the Holy Roman Empire of comic books. <laughs> uh, this was 2008 series by Grant Morrison. Uh, we talked about Grant Morrison a little bit when we did our Doom Patrol episode and his run on Doom Patrol, which was before he was Grant, Grant Morrison. Morrison. And now... Here we are. This is like the first big project for DC where he is Grant Morrison. I still hate him. And the DC universe is worse off for it. Oh, God. I mean, I just... He has some, like, I guess cool ideas. There's, right. like, kernels of, like, really clever stuff happening in, in this story. Uh -huh. But it is executed so poorly and maybe it's not his fault. It might be an editorial decision to have every significant bit of plot happen in another fucking comic book. Right, right. So, so basically, the gist is to get to get this series. Unlike uh, Final uh, Infinite Crisis or or Crisis on Infinite Earths, where you can read the core storyline and and basically know what's going on. Final Crisis is a true company-wide crossover. Everything that happens during this is happening in other books, and the aftermath is carrying over into the main series. Uh, there's the road to Final Crisis. There's Final Crisis Aftermath. There's well, Final countdown. The countdown to Final Crisis. Whatever the fuck it is. <laughs> Which um, was the sequel to, to 52. But that's not even the horrible thing is, like, the actual... Because they did that for Infinite, Cri Infinite Crisis as well. Like, a lot of the backstory happened in other comic books. Right. But once they hit the main comic, yeah, what, yeah. Went on when, what went on went on. Right. And you could kind of, you know, you, you, it wasn't essential that you read the uh, four miniseries leading up to it. Mm. It helped. But it wasn't essential. Right. This Here, one, they made it essential it that you have to have so all of that background. Not only do you have to have that, but all of the ancillary material that happens during Final Crisis, all the spinoff series, you have to read because that's where the actual shit happens. Like, for example, Superman disappears for four or five issues. Right. And comes back with a miracle machine. They have like a couple of, of, par of uh, panels where he's like being instructed on how to use that. But it's like he disappears, and then and a bunch of shit happens that you have no idea, and it's not referenced at all. Right. And then here he is with his machine saving the day. 
it's, right. and the whole thing is like that. That's just one example. It, it's 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 almost like this is like just the the glue, right? That holds this storyline together instead of being the actual story, right? And and that's that's where the first part of where this book fails is that if you're going to have the big miniseries, most of the action should actually take place within the miniseries. We yes. don't really get that. We get those. It's like the Final Crisis miniseries. Those seven issues are like the filler issues. You know, they give you the setup in issue one, and by the time you get to issue seven, it's so fucking convoluted and and everything just falls apart. It's like, look, guys, you know, tell a story. If you can tell a story, make it 12 issues if you have a lot of material to get through. Not 200 issues that you have to read in order to understand everything that's going on. It's hubris is what it is. And whether this is how Grant Morrison um, organizes a company crossover or if it's an editorial decision by DC, Dan Didio or whatever, whoever was the the head honcho at the time. If that, whether whoever's decision it was, it was a horrible decision. Right. And, uh, you know, this is like the beginning of really the beginning of the end of DC's um, just reign of superiority in comic books. Right. <laughs> Because after this, you get the new 52. And, right. You got you know, Flashpoint and then new 52. Yeah. And and, it, and this is coming on the off of the heels of um, Blackest Night and Brightest Day, which were good. Or at least Blackest Night was. Brightest right. Day, maybe not so much. But Blackest Night was like a really cool way to tell a horror story in a superhero uh, comic. Right. Um, and this has the potential to be really cool. So, like, really quickly, uh, the dark side gets de- defeated in um, the countdown series, mm. which is actually interesting, <laughs> more interesting than this. And um, but it's part of his plan to uh, resurrect himself. Kind of by taking over the psyches of Earth. Of people on Earth, right. he and, and his cronies, and they're going to uh, re- they're going to start the fifth world on Earth by like hollowing out people's uh, psyches and then appearing, which is pretty cool, even though it's ripped off from uh, Judge Death. <laughs> right, right, and and Dark Side is seeking to like increase his power like exponentially, right by. Right. By essentially becoming every living creature on Earth, being right. it's, his body, it's the Grant Morrison version of the anti-life equation, right? But he, he's 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 on a clock because he's somehow uh, collapsing into a singularity and bringing all of reality with him. I didn't square that circle. I don't know. I, I really didn't understand what the fuck was going on with that. Right. To be perfectly honest with you, which is the other thing that really bugs the shit out of me about Grant Morrison. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So now see, normal- here's 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 the fucked up thing about that, though. Right. People who are Grant Morrison fans. Right. And, you know, I know some of you are probably out there listening. They 
cover. I know most of you are. I think haters are in the minority. Well, they tend to cover Grant Morrison's lack of skill in a particular storyline with the fact that the person who spots this and calls it out is not intelligent enough or cultured enough to yes, understand the, the subtleties the, of a Grant Morrison. The Rick era. and Morty defense. Yes. But, look, guys, you're fooling yourselves. These Final Crisis in particular is deficient storytelling at its finest. It's horrible. You have to... Okay, so first off, you want to do this company-wide thing and make money for DC. So you want to do an exciting story, which this has the potential to be, even though it's not. Uh, and you want to, like, work in continuity, right? And history. Right. Which it does too much of because Grant Morrison is like so cool, and he can't like take the history everybody knows, like you know, Batman's origin or Superman's origin or whatever you right. know famous storylines. What he does is he takes the most obscure bits and pieces of the DC universe, like the Fourth World. Mm-hmm. Raise your hand if you like have an encyclopedic knowledge of Jack Kirby's Fourth World. My hand is not up. Is your hand up, Rodney? No. Exactly. And I'm I'm gonna guess that unless you're Peter fucking Rollick, you probably don't know much about Jack Kirby's Fourth World. Okay. When this was written, 2008, we didn't have shit like DC Universe Online, so you couldn't go back and read all that shit. So I'm sorry, it's obscure. Mm-hmm. Mr. Miracle, uh, The New Gods. Uh, there were a couple of titles, and they weren't really popular. Mm-hmm. And people built off of them. And uh, um, I believe Superman mythology incorporated that because Darkseid is a really good foil for Superman. Right. It was never like the shit. Right. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. So, so Graham Morrison is basically throwing you a fucking spitball here. Because he's making you um, have this obscure knowledge, this esoteric knowledge of DC history that almost nobody has. Right. And that's the basis for his plot. So already, you know, three quarters of the people who are going to read this are like, what the fuck is going on? It it doesn't even like I think continuity is for suckers. But like you said, you have to have some story anchor, especially if you're going to be doing this. So, so that's my first complaint is like the, the story he decides to build is based on some obscure corner that he doesn't bother to explain in the story. So he doesn't give you background. He just like picks it up and you're supposed to know what's going on. Right, right. And the from what I understand, the new gods aren't truly gods in the sense of, you know, the way Grant Morrison depicts them well, in, in Final Morrison Crisis. Like a, a Gnostic problem. As right, well, so. right. Well... You know, it seems like the you know Kirby's new gods, his his whole fourth world thing, is kind of like his take on the the pantheon of Asgard in the Thor series, where it's what developed into what we saw in the MCU, where they're quote unquote aliens with exceptionally long lifespans, technology beyond the you know mortal ken. And we think of them at that level as gods, but they're not truly gods. Right. Uh, and whatever Kirby's um, 
motivations and depictions are 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 basically thrown out the window anyway. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so, so there's your first complaint is that it's built on this pillar of sand of the new gods. Right. Your second, my second complaint is that instead of telling a story and having Easter eggs, and it's kind of along the same lines, um, like you, like you do. And, and I have a problem with like, with overuse of Easter eggs or, you know, but this is an Easter egg, one big Easter egg or a series of them that are the main parts of the plot with story and continuity um, and understandability of the story um, second to that. So his little clever nods to things are more important than telling a good story. Or, and or, that, that or even a coherent story. Yeah, because, yeah. Because it's not like Crisis on Infinite Earths where you have clear motivations. You don't even know which characters are the the embodiments of dark side's forces you know you might get like one passing mention and it's like issue seven they don't tell you that the alpha green lantern is granny goodness you know or uh you reverend good right mary marvel is decide they just kind of like throw evil mary marvel at you and she's got some kind of crazy beef haircut. with uh well she's got a crazy haircut but she's also got this crazy beef with supergirl yeah so so why yeah and and that is actually explained in countdown kind of right but you know did you read countdown no i didn't read countdown i didn't have time to read fucking countdown <laughs> countdown's 51 issues by the way <laughs> right fucking 51 <laughs> issues there's 52 weeks in a year that's you know 52 was the same thing. It came out every week. I, I just assume Countdown to Final Crisis did the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Where they had an issue almost every week for a year. Yep, that's exactly what it was. So, you know, that's like, okay, that's too much buildup. It's the opposite of what was wrong with Infinite Crisis. Because Infinite Crisis ended with, with not nothing happening. And then 52 kind of showed you what happened. Right. Right. So, so you end up at the end of 52, oh, there's 52 different universes now. That's, that's the whole point of that. And right. this starts off with that, and there's like shit happens in the 52 universes because there's a monitor for each one and blah, blah, blah. And that's the buildup to Final Crisis. So it's like the opposite thing that happens. It's, it starts off in obscurity, whereas um, Infinite Crisis ended in obscurity. Right. But one, once again, you know, there's no real payoff in Final Crisis either. It just kind of goes back to the status quo, more mm, or less. Kind of. Well, Batman. Right. Is Batman's quote, dead. Quote, unquote, Barry Allen. Dead. Right. Uh, quote unquote dead. Quote unquote dead. Batman is quote Barry unquote Allen's, dead. Barry Allen's Barry alive. Allen back alive. Yeah. And um, it's like, and you get that whole, like, that's a huge event to happen in DC was Barry Allen had probably stayed dead longer than any other comic book character. <laughs> um, and, with that, except for Uncle Ben. Right. With the exception of like Uncle Ben. And he comes back and Wally is like, Barry, how are you back? I don't know. Good for I've me. Been, I've been reconstructed by... Time, quantum, blah, blah, blah. 
Right, and and the Black Racer is after me. Uh, if so. you want to find out how I came back, read Jeff Johns's Flash Rebirth. Right, coming soon. Well, see, I, I don't even think that explains it. To be honest with you, right now, this series is also missing something very important that we spoke of. We've spoken of many times when we're talking about comic series editorial text boxes where <laughs> Stan Lee was notorious for this. Uh, Marv Wolfman, I think used to do it as well. Yeah. Where yeah. they had, when they made a reference like that, they put an editorial box to tell you as where that amazing Spider-Man number 52, right? Or teen Titans 17 or something like that. So you could go back and, and check that out. This book assumes that you already have an encyclopedic knowledge of the DC universe from the early 70s as you said with the fourth world stuff having read every fucking thing else since infinite crisis and I mean I do mean everything I don't think it's really possible I mean even if you're a completist there are sometimes your friendly local comic book shop uh, sells out of a particular title, and it's not in your box if you have one. Well, I don't. I don't think that the fourth world stuff was very uh, collectible. A well, it is now, but right. at the time, I don't think it was popular. To be honest with you, and I could be wrong, but I don't think the fourth world uh, worked out for DC. The way they wanted the great Jack Kirby to, to work for them. Right. Well, I don't think it worked out for Jack Kirby either because he kind of just like abandoned it uh, after a while. I mean, after he left, he went, he left Marvel, went to DC. And then after he, after he did the fourth world stuff, he ended up going back to Marvel and working on Black Panther. Yeah. So. So, I mean, it's it's super obscure, and I'm glad that Grant... But Grant Morrison tends to do shit like that. Like, his run on Batman, like, mm -hmm. prior to this, uh, where, where he was the Black Dossier, or whatever they called it, where right. he would take shitty uh, 1950s obscure um, plot lines, like Batman of Zen La, and, and craft stories around that, right? Right, right. And it was kind of the same thing. It was just like a nod to like comics he read as a kid, I guess, that stuck with him. And like with clever, clever ideas, right? Mm -hmm. But I don't think he's like good enough of a writer, like an actual like writer mm -hmm. to uh, handle the ideas that he has, I guess. Right, right. I mean, even though Doom Patrol is probably uh, the best stuff we've read by Grant Morrison even that had some poor execution in the in, in some of the clever ideas he had yeah and, and you know I, I get that like yes he's different than most comic book writers are I get that okay yes not a lot of not a lot of comic book writers say maybe Alan Moore um, want to like bring this grand like as above so below philosophy to comic book writing you mentioned alan moore grant morrison's arch nemesis yeah well i mean <laughs> they're the same guy so what the fuck right <laughs> I mean, come on what's really the difference between um alan moore and grant morrison is like who has more or less hair right 
They tell the same kind of stories. Um, I, I guess Grant Morrison's a little less rapey than Alan Moore. Right. But, I mean... <laughs> yeah, there was that whole promise of who, who got to uh, get in line with Supergirl after the bad guys win. Yeah, well, they're bad guys, right? You gotta oh. show them. But you don't have to do that for, for bad guys. I mean, and it was just... And it wasn't even like... I was, I was being sarcastic. Right. But, I mean, that particular section there, that had nothing to do with nothing. You know, it was just thrown in there. Who the fuck is Libra? <laughs> uh, now, there, there is a comic that came out that explains Libra. Right. But if you didn't read that comic, your question is, who the fuck is Libra? Right. And, and who the fuck is the human flame? Yeah, so so part of this thing is you have, um, this is coming off the heels of the Secret Society mm. from um, Infinite Crisis. You have uh, this, this villain, Libra, who promises to grant your, your greatest wish if you, like, throw him with him. And he ends up um, getting most of the Secret Society on his side um, by killing the Martian Manhunter for some no-name guy named Flame whatever. Human flame. <laughs> human flame. I'm the human flame. Oh, that's true. John Jones does does bite it early on in here. That's right. John Jones bites it. But I'm the human flame. Respect my power. Yes. <laughs> like, what? Even Alex Luthor is like, who the fuck are you, pal? Yeah. I think that was a point. But Libra just came out of left field with no explanation. And I yeah. get that that's what they wanted the villains to have like in their mind, who the fuck is this guy? But I'm not fucking Lex Luthor. Right. I'm not Vandal Savage. Yeah. And Vandal Savage is only in it. I'm not Dr. Savannah, even though uh, I might be related to him (laughs) (laughs) through marriage. Um, Through marriage. (laughs) I want to know a little bit about this guy and I don't want to have to pay six bucks for, for an ancillary comic book to find out. Give me a panel or two. Right. Some type of explanation. They do it all the fucking time. You don't even have to, like, have a flashback. Do it through conversation, like, you know, a writer would do. Or they draw a panel, and they have a text box with narration. Little do they know he's the secret... But I guess they didn't want to, like, spoil that he's, like, some low fucking tier agent of dark side you know yeah but you kind of like figure that out pretty early on right none of it's clever it's supposed to be clever but it's not clever no you're right and it's like all of the big reveals really don't have that big of a reveal you know it's like okay uh the guy that runs the dark side club is mr dark side yeah and he transfers his consciousness into turpin right who, yeah, is himself kind who, of a, who starts to look more and more like Darkseid as time time goes on. <laughs> oh, we've crafted you a perfect body, Darkseid, an overweight, heavy smoking fucking <laughs> Metropolis detective, retired right. Metropolis detective. Yes, who's like, I'm on my last case, <laughs> I need to find these kids. <laughs> And it's like, okay, you know, 
if you had focused on Turpin trying to find these kids and stumbling into the whole dark side plot, that would have been a fucking fantastic story. Yes, but, it would have. You know, I mean, you even had Renee Montoya show up and she's working the same case. And then next thing you know, she disappears. She's taken in by shade and says, uh, yeah, we're going to travel to another universe and you're going to be the, in charge of the UN when we get there. Like, what? Okay, who fucking cares? <laughs> right, it's like, no, that's not what Renee Montoya does. Renee Montoya gets down in the fucking street and yeah, investigates and she's crimes. She's, she's the, question. the question. Right. She, Which like, happened in 52. Right, right. Vic Sage died of cancer, and uh, she took over for him. <sighs> so, yeah, I, you know, I really want to find something good in this comic book. I really do. And it's just too, maybe it's just like too much happening, mm. like you said, um, and not enough of what actually happens makes it. Right, into the, the seven issues. To the screen. Yeah. Um, I, tr- I tried to read some of the um, the ancillary material. It's it's just as horrible as the, um, the Rogues one was pretty good. The one Jeff Johns wrote. Right. Um, about the Rogues. I read that one, and that was a pretty good story. If you didn't read it, so <laughs> right, or maybe you did. No, but I it's basically it. the rogues resisting uh, Libra. Libra wants the rogues on his side because the flashes are—they haven't figured out how to take care of the flashes in their grand plan. Um, so he wants the rogues who fought speedsters their entire career, and so and, and it's a pretty good story. Right, right. And Captain Cold's like, we're not about that life. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's that's pretty much what happens. But no, you, it's cool because you get um, you get like old rogues and and their their newer ones like uh, the struggle between the old guard and the new guard. Uh, you get Zoom. Mm-hmm. Um, you get whoever like the clone of Impulse was that that killed him is in there. Well, Godspeed uh, it, or whatever. Yeah, it's a good it's a good story. And then I tried to read. The one where Superman, it's written by Grant Morrison, where Superman, the the what happens to Superman between Lois Lane dying or being hospitalized and him getting his miracle machine, and it is horrible. Right. It is like a fucking tweaked out mess of multiple universes and multiple Supermans and like shitty explanations that require a PhD in fucking... Um, Western religion. Right. Uh, it, it, it was at that point I was like, I can't read any more of this shit. Yeah, the best you get in the, the best you get in the main series is get in the car. We're collecting Superman. Yeah, <laughs> and, and this is this is the the explanation of how that happens, right? Right. And it's just as horrible as this. <laughs> it's just as bad, and it's a shame. It really is a shame how they handled this, because I think had you sat down and say, what are the most important parts of this story? And told that. Mm-hmm. I think it would have been a good story. Right. Because, like, just as far as plot goes, maybe not completely original, because it is a variation on the Starro theme. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's pretty good. Um, and it's different from the other crises, so you you don't have um you know Superman Junior 
Billy does show up. Oh right. no, is that, that is he in this or is that in Countdown? That's in Countdown. That's in Countdown. I think it's is. funny in Countdown because he's like a total man child. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm okay. Superman. I'm Superman. <laughs> Respect but, my authority. But I, seriously, I think a fucking human like, flame thought out what they wanted to accomplish with the story and either like had Jeff Jeff well maybe not Jeff Johns but somebody who can write <laughs> have Gail Simone fucking do it nah, they would have sullied her reputation <laughs> but but you know somebody who knows how to plot out a comic book and who can write a comic book um, I'm not saying that it's simplistic obviously um, it's it's you know it's more complicated than they were able to. I, I think I think part of the problem was is that Grant Morrison tried to make it too complicated. You know this was this was about the time where you started seeing Watchmen on like list of the hundred greatest novels of all time, and Grant Morrison was like, "Well, I I want to do that too." You know right. I, that's that fucker more right you can't get away with this right. So I'm going to write the most complicated comic book arc ever and you know and it really it, it suffers it, it really does suffer if you're not balancing out your characters because there are some writers who just can't write certain characters like Grant Morrison can't write Superman um, he does a pretty crappy job of writing Dick Grayson in the Batman and Robin comics that come after this yeah well um, he does a pretty shitty job writing Bruce Wayne Right. And it's like, okay, and, and Wonder Woman, geez, he just like, uh, yeah, yeah, we're going to throw a, her okay, in a that's fridge. Another thing. One panel, you got Wonder Wonder Woman being Wonder Woman. And the next panel, she's like uh, a, a, one of Granny Goodness's um, Razor Girls, whatever yeah, they call it. The Furies. The Furies. Right. And it's. How and, did that happen? Wouldn't that be like part of a really cool storyline? Right. How? The fall of Wonder Woman, one of the big three of the DC Trinity. But no, 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 no. It's cool. She just believe us. She she's evil now. No, I, who cares about Batman, Wonder Woman, and Superman? I got these fucking Japanese superheroes over here. Oh Jesus fucking Christ, man! <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. Who so also. Don't do shit, but the majority of the fucking comic focuses on these guys. And, and and none of them. You don't give a fucking shit about any of them. You don't know anything they, about them. Well, they were, made, they were made up for this specifically for Final Crisis. They're Graham Morrison creations. Right. And just in case you haven't read this, they are who what? They're like fucking K-pop stars as superheroes, more or less. So they are uh, groomed to be uh, superheroes, defenders of Tokyo, kind of. Um, but they don't really do anything except for hang out in clubs and try and get celebrity autographs. Right? They're kind of like they're kind of like a shitty version of uh, of the Seven. Yeah, they're 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 basically um, a, a superhero boy band. Yeah, more or less. Which I. I don't know if that's like his uh, take on what Japanese comics are or if that's his take on uh, how J Japanese culture interprets uh, 
United States culture. I, I just don't know what Graham Morrison is trying to say about that, but whatever it is, it's not really good. <laughs> right, right. And we spend, like I said, we spend an inordinate amount of time with them and they don't really contribute to the plot at all, except for their hangers on of Mr. Miracle and, and uh, Sonny Sumo. Sonny Sumo. Who is actually, you know, of that bunch of characters, is actually probably the most interesting. Well, that's because he's a Jack Kirby creation. Ah, thank you. That's probably <laughs> why. Yeah, doing my research, come to find out that Sonny Sumo back in the day um, had somehow had the anti-life equation um, encoded in him. Now let's talk about the anti-life equation for a minute here. Because, because Grant Morrison actually writes it into the script in text, where it's like self-loathing plus greed plus... And, and it's like, okay, first off, that's not the anti-life equation. Uh, first off, no one... I don't think the anti-life equation would, would affect as many people as it did because nobody knows what the order of operations is, and they just get it wrong. Right. <laughs> In order for the anti-life equation to work, you have to solve it. <laughs> you know, that's that's how it works. That's one of Darkseid's, like, big things, is it, it, it eludes, it constantly eludes his grasp. And yes, but so, for some reason he has it now. Right. Somehow and, he, he, he figured the whole thing out, or some some like proximity of it because I think you were saying in, in when we were discussing it earlier that writing it out like that is the same thing as writing the second act of the King in yellow or writing yeah. out the Necronomicon. It's, mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't, it's not going to have the same fucking effect. It just takes away from it. It's better left saying that he knows it and it's, it's on a carrier wave, like being distributed through the internet or whatever. That's kind of cool. That's all you need. Right. You don't have to have the headphone saying depression plus whatever. Plus low self-esteem. These are all the bad things that people worry about. Right. It just, yeah. It's like, wow. I just watched a, an episode of Dr. Phil. Now I want to follow Darkseid. <laughs> and here's another ball dropped as far as I'm concerned. Because... Maybe he didn't mean to do this, but the more effective um, criticism of of 2008 media culture isn't his Japanese, like, whatever the fuck that was. And I think that was kind of trying to be that. Uh -huh. It's it's this anti-life equation thing where uh, one billion people are affected immediately by it. Because they consume it. They're watching TV. They're on the internet. They've got their cell phones. A every like a piece of external media beams it at you. Right. Which might have been ripped off from Stephen King's cell. Uh, which I don't know if that predated. I'm pretty sure it did. Right, right. But that's kind of got the same thing happening. But the way he, the way it's used is, I think you have a nice little, um, just a criticism of how easy it is for the media to help you fall into fascism. I mean, especially if you're looking at what's going on today in America, mm -hmm. um, how the media sells you this narrative and how like a lot of people buy into it. 
and, right. and you know you, it gets sold out. You, it's kind of like in the boys; you kind of sell off your your integrity bit by bit by bit with it with every purchase of Amazon or every like new fucking download out from YouTube or whatever. So, I think that's like probably the highlight of the thing for me, even though you have this like shittily executed anti-life equation mm-hmm. um and had you held off had he held off on like actually printing it out it, it would have been more effective but i think he does like there's like something you can glean out of that in just in terms of um a philosophy you know what i'm saying yeah yeah like a message i gotta think of something positive to say about this damn book well, I mean, yeah, you're you're right, you're right. But the the main thing that you can say that's positive is that Grant Morrison has some interesting ideas. It's just that his execution is lackluster, right? And that's probably the most generous way of saying it because you know if you take it's like you're saying there are some elements in this story that would be really interesting to follow, like for example, the detective uncovering. You know, dark side experimenting on these children and 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 basically using them to solve the anti life equation, which is right. what is implied. Mm-hmm. And you know, and that's a very dark and sinister storyline, and it's rife with that kind of comparison that you were just making to the way media works. Right, and you got to remember, this is two thousand eight. This is mm-hmm. well before we sank so low to where we actually are living in a dictatorship. Right. However, you know, and there's also the the uh, disappearance, you know, the, the idea of Libra you know, granting these wishes, you know, you could have strung that along a little bit more. And, you know, but, okay, so Clayface blows up the Daily Planet and Superman is taken out of the picture because he has to keep Lois's heart beating with his heat vision. Right. You know, okay... You know, uh, yeah, how does that work? Right, exactly. <laughs> how exactly does that work? I, I guess you know because Lois, you know what you can you know what you can do. Hey, Jefferson Pierce, yeah. it's Superman. Can you do me a solid and come to the hospital and and defibrillate defibrillate my wife? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Jefferson Pierce is supposed to be very important because he gave the tattooed man like the the circuit so to speak, which is some type of glyph that real... And there's the other thing is like, okay, the anti-life equation is like basically every negative human emotion added all up, divided, and shit like that. And it's some weird math, right? Right. And the antidote to the anti-life equation is uh, a... Primitive. Primitive circle. Yeah, it's it's basically the uh, thing Metron has on his face... Right. When you when you look at Metron, it's like his mask, more or less. Mm-hmm. And it's implied at the beginning that Metron is Prometheus, like not the supervillain, but the the Prometheus the God, right? Who, who gave who fire? Gives. Yeah. And I, I honestly don't even know what the fuck Metron is doing in there. Right. Metron. Metron basically gives man fire and and fucks his off. Chair and yeah, it's his like. Chair. Right, that's like Batman leaving his fucking... He's like, hey, buddy, here, have a utility belt. And 
okay. You get a utility belt, and you, you get, get a utility, utility belt, belt, and you you get a cosmic chair. You get a cosmic chair. Well, the cosmic chair. chair was there because it, they needed to cannibalize it for parts for the miracle machine, right? <laughs> and and apparently Libra needed it because he needed a like a, a badass place to sit, right? But you know, I mean, Metron's chair is more than just a fucking chair. It's the Mobius chair. Yeah, I mean, that shit... It has like, the ability to go through time and space in an instant. Yeah. And it can show you the future. It's like a fucking TARDIS. Yeah, I think I think that a Metron was there because, you know, he could be. Right. <laughs> Let me just show you how much I know about Jack Kirby's fourth world. Right, and Metron's and there... And you don't know anything about it because it's semi-obscure comic book from 1972. Right. Right. And it's like the weird thing is how that seventh issue, right, supposedly time collapses into a single present for some fucking reason. Right. I guess uh, well, they're approaching that is singularity. Somehow a black hole. Right. And they're like everything is being pulled into the singularity. Gnosticism. Yeah, and you know, you get some of that kind of, you know, Stephen Hawking stuff. It's like I hokey took Stephen Hawking and it's hokey fucking science religion yeah. is what it is. <laughs> you know, I'm surprised that uh, the law of attraction wasn't what defeated Dark Side in the end. But um, the seventh issue is so convoluted and confusing. You don't know. I guess it's supposed to be representative rather than a narrative. Okay, know? but fuck that. Right. You have six issues of narrative, and then all of a sudden you decide to be abstract? And, yeah, and Fuck do that. like six narratives simultaneously and jump Fuck in that. between them all? And Fuck that. Right. Poor no. storytelling. You know, there's there's a certain thing that can be you said for something You do that in the issue, art. which is called uh, Final Crisis Fallout. That's where you do that shit. Right don't like to have the climax of your fucking story all of a sudden become like some weird fucking abstract metaphor or you do it or you do it in another mini series that's not a big fucking company wide event or you slowly create the narrative to go towards that direction so it doesn't like stand out like a sore fucking thumb right you know so you do it cleverly uh-huh so, so your prose reflects uh, the whatever the spiritual blah 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 of the story you're telling, right? So your prose actually becomes an allegory for people's spiritual states in the world you're creating, right? So they go from physical to spiritual or whatever. And if you don't think it can be done, read Gene Fucking Wolf, right? <laughs> right. And that and and see now that's where the problem lies with people saying, Oh, you have to be smart to understand Grant Morrison. It's like, no, you really you don't. <laughs> because there are authors who do this regularly. Right. Like Gene Wolfe, James Joyce, who, yeah, it takes study to, to understand what they're saying all the time, and no one really can get it like all the time. But it can be done. Right. I, it you has know, been done. And just, just because it's super confusing doesn't make it smart. That's true. Just because you don't get it doesn't mean that it's genius. Yes. That's that's the thing. That's the big takeaway there is just because, you know, it, it, it might just be bad. 
Yeah. You know, you don't have to, oh, it's Grant Morrison, so you automatically have to he ascribe. He right, gets he gets a pass because he's pass. the Grant Morrison. Right, he's Grant, Grant Morrison. Morrison. And, you know, it's like, no, dude, he can suck. He's human. You, you still know? have to get from point A to point B. Right. And have people be able to follow that. And that, this... It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen in a lot of Grant Morrison's work, but it especially doesn't happen here. Right. And I think giving Grant Morrison um, a bigger storyline than like a simple tale is is wrong. Like, uh, what was the one that we read? I don't uh, way back when. Uh, when we nameless. This. Yeah, nameless. He's good at Nameless, mm-hmm. right? There's some issues with Nameless, but that kind of storytelling is really good for a, a small-scale story like that. You don't have to like tie in a thousand different loose ends from a thousand different plot lines of 50 years of continuity. Right. You have a self-contained story, and whatever parts of background you need to tell, you can just tell it. It's right? almost it's almost like Grant Morrison had an idea for a comic that he wanted to do, and he shoehorned the DC universe into it. Yeah, and he could have simply said, "Hey, I have a really great idea for a fourth world story." Right? Uh, can can we do this? And you know, had it gone down to a smaller scale like that, uh, I think it would have been a pretty good thing. But I think DC at the time just wanted to be big, and everything had to be big. Everything had to tie in together, and everything had to be big. And I think they all just—I don't know if I can even fault Grant Morrison for this. I'm almost thinking that this was an editorial decision. Uh, it's probably a little column A and a little column B. You know, it's kind of like Grant Morrison was hot at the moment because uh, didn't he do like a run on JLA before this? Uh, yeah, his, his JLA run was pretty popular, and it was pretty good actually. Right, so he's he's like well received with this, and they're like, okay, we're gonna do a big company wide crossover, uh, go nuts, you know. And they kind of they kind of he became the wonderkind, and they they gave him like carte blanche to do whatever he wanted to do for the crossover, and is accepted had to be pretty much back to status quo more or less by the end of it. Do something you know, do something outrageous, you know, and. And kind of that thing. So, so really, his narrative became kind of a victim of his own uh, esteem. Yeah, and it's it's unfortunate that he that anybody reaches this wunderkind status a, as a comic book author, right? Um, because it it never ends good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it well, never does. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Final crisis. Skip this. Uh, yeah, you know, if you need even... emergency toilet paper or birdcage lining, you know, pick up the trade. And, Other... and the thing is that the way the DC universe is now, you don't. It doesn't even matter. It, right. It, it's a it's a nothing burger, as the Republicans like to say, because it was all rebooted anyway. That's right. Thank you, Barry Allen. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe there is something to be said about the new Fifty Two. <laughs> All right, so that's it for us this time. Keep 30 luck points. And we'll see you later. Bye.